first reading may be found on page 1033 in the Church Bible and on the screen. It's Luke chapter 6, verses 12 to 16. One of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. When morning came, he called his disciples to him and chose twelve of them, whom he also designated apostles. Simon, whom he named Peter, his brother Andrew, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon, who was called the Zealot, Judas, son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. This is the word of the Lord. Most of you have heard of the famous, probably one of the most famous Christian preachers in the world, uh, Billy Graham. Billy Graham once had an appointment to preach uh, in a small American rural town. He got there, he had a couple of letters to post, he walked out, uh, and he met a small boy and he said to the small boy, hey, do you know the way to the post office? And this small boy 
explained it to him, Billy Graham said, thank you very much. Hey, if you come to church tonight, I'll tell you the way to get to heaven. And the wee boy looked at him and said, huh, you don't even know the way to the post office. I, I, I hope you're not expecting me to tell you how to get to heaven. Okay. Uh, but one of the great causes of rejoicing heard it read, we've sung about it in quite a few of the songs this morning, is that God's in control. He's a great big God. And if you know the Lord Jesus, your name is going to be written in heaven. Just the same way that Jesus told the disciples. And that should be a great cause for rejoicing. Regardless of the circumstances that any of us different backgrounds. We all have lots of things going on, some small, some big, in our lives. But regardless, you can rejoice if you know Jesus that your name is written in heaven. But we're going to talk about rejoicing, and I want to basically pose the question, what makes you rejoice? I don't mean just of joy. I mean, punch up in the air, emotional joy. Here's one for me, probably, hey Jim, yeah, just go back, probably one of the greatest rugby players in the world. Some of you who aren't Irish mightn't think that, but, but he is regarded that way. Okay, he retired this year on a high when Ireland won the Six Nations. Sorry, Paul Nelson. But there, there are other things, of course. Next please, Jim. Yeah, just go on. Yeah, England winning the World Cup in rugby. Maybe, maybe. I hope not as an Irishman. Maybe repeat it next year. Okay. And of course, next. Yeah, even the Welsh win sometimes, don't they? Just go on. Yeah, royal weddings. Hey, we have joy. At least most of us do, and we rejoice in that. It's a great time of national rejoicing. For the Scots, and indeed for everybody who was Brit, the first British Wimbledon champion for how many years, I don't know, but a Scotsman, wonderful. The Queen's Jubilee, again, great outpouring of national rejoicing. Next. The Olympics and Mo Farah. Pompeii. But the city really came together to rejoice at that, didn't it? Really big high point in Portsmouth's history. And of course, I'm just indulging myself as an Irishman, eh? This year, the Six Nations. But just, just, I want you to turn to someone. You don't have to. What makes you rejoice? What makes you want to stand up and punch the air? Just think about it. Just turn to someone and tell them. Okay, just a few seconds.
Okay, okay, sorry. Back, back to me again. Back to me again. I just want to tell you, it should lead to a spontaneous outburst of rejoicing. I'm only going to speak for another 10 minutes, so you'll be home early for Sunday lunch today. Okay, next please. Well, rejoicing is emotional. It, we shouldn't be frightened of that, okay? If it's a stand-up-and-punch-the-air moment, it's going to be emotional. It's going to be spontaneous, almost. And we can have joy at other times, but, but rejoicing, real rejoicing, spontaneous rejoicing, is emotional. And it's more than not relational. It's something to do with people, almost invariably. Not always, but mostly. That's rejoicing. And I think you know in your hearts that that's probably real rejoicing as well. Okay, next please. Just want to put what we're going to talk about, because we're going to talk about Jesus and why he rejoiced and why that's important. You know, the Bible talks about Jesus as a man of sorrows. It does talk in the New Testament, and Jesus actually prays a couple of times that his joy may be in us. But Jesus was a man of sorrows. You know, our lives are roller coasters, aren't they? We have times that we want to stand up And lots of in-between times as well. That's part of life. And you know, when Jesus came to this earth and was a human being in a man's body, he experienced that roller coaster. He was a man of sorrows. But he had the good times and he had the bad times. But all was in front of him was going to be the cross, was going to be the supreme trial. And he knew that. And he was a man of sorrows. That's good. John 15, it said, Jesus actually did talk about joy elsewhere in the New Testament. John 15, he talked that my joy in you, who was you? The disciples and his followers, that he wanted joy in them to be complete. Jesus' joy in us. Next. And he actually prayed a very famous prayer in the Gospel of John, chapter 17. When Jesus prayed for the future followers. That's you and me. And this is what he asked God. They may have the full measure of my joy. Jesus prayed that But in Luke chapter 10, the reading we just had, in that first word, and one or two of you may be Greek scholars, I'm not, but I'm, uh, the preparation I did, that's a Greek word, agaleo, I don't even know if that's pronounced right, but, but it means jump for joy. And in John chapter 10, 
verse 21, it says in the NIV, the version that was read, at that time, Jesus, full of joy, through the Holy Spirit. I prefer the translation in the message version. And in this case, it's probably actually more correct and true to the original Greek meaning. It says, at that, Jesus rejoiced, exuberant, exuberant in the Holy Spirit. This was the standing up, punching in the air joy. There is nowhere else in Scripture that this word is used in connection with Jesus. This is the only recorded incident that we read that Jesus had the stand-up, punching-in-the-air kind of joy. I'm not saying he didn't have it at other times, but it's the only recorded one in the New Testament. So it's pretty significant. Pretty significant. This was a huge moment, and we need to take some note of it. Next, please. Okay, what was the context? We read uh, Luke chapter 10, starting at verse 17. So, Jesus' ministry up to this point in Luke pointed to him. The first reading we heard was Jesus had gone to pray very significant activity in Jesus' life prayer, as it should be in ours. He went to pray so that he could choose the twelve disciples. A chapter or so later, he actually sent those twelve disciples out to do things. He'd already done some miracles. He'd fed the five thousand. Things were pointing very clearly to who he was. Peter, one of those disciples, had actually said, in response to Jesus' question, you So the whole story up to this point points very clearly to who Jesus was. And in chapter 10, he takes another step. Because now, not just the 12, he sends the 70, and some translations at 72, he sends them out to preach the gospel. And this is what's happened in chapter 10. And they've come back to him. Okay, next please sent them out, and, and they've come back to him, and he hears their report. And this is what we read this morning, just the end of that report. And, and the end of that report, it says in verse 17 of chapter 10 of Luke, the 70 came back triumphant, Master, even the demons danced to your tune. In the NIV, if you prefer that version, the 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. It was good news. God's power was being transmitted through the disciples to preach the gospel and to be confirmed by signs and wonders. This was good news. Why wouldn't you rejoice? Why wouldn't you rejoice? Next please. But Jesus said, uh-uh, uh-uh, that's not why you should rejoice. 
This is why you should rejoice. Your names are written in heaven. Not that you've got authority, not that you've got power, not that you are preaching the gospel, but actually, this is the root of why you should rejoice. Next, please. Again, to use the message translation, here it is. All the same, the great triumph is not in your authority over evil, but in God's authority over you and his presence with you. Not what you do for God, but what God does for you. That's the agenda for rejoicing. And at this point, I could stop my sermon because that says it all. Regardless of the circumstance, you see, regardless of what's happening in our lives, the great truth is this. What God does for you, that's the reason that we should stand up and punish the enemy. All three parts of the Trinity are involved in this, you know. Jesus was teaching it. He was talking to God the Father, and he had the joy of the Holy Spirit in him. This is very, very significant. This is the Trinity telling us, rejoice, rejoice, see what we're doing Jesus was filled with the Spirit. I've just said that. If you look at Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, joy is one of the fruits of the Spirit. There are nine of them. And joy and rejoicing is clearly one of them. And Jesus was totally filled with this. Totally filled with it. If it's real rejoicing, in the sense that you're praising, thanking, and standing up and punching the air for God, the Holy Spirit's involved in it. You, you might know it, but he is. He is. Next one. Jesus was rejoicing and pointing us as well. Why rejoice? You have a relationship with the Father. You have a relationship with Abba, with Father God. Very hard for some of us maybe to understand how wonderful that is. Because not all of us privilege to have a good human relationship with our earthly fathers. I was privileged in that way. But many aren't. But the good news is you can have a wonderful relationship with your heavenly father. Rejoice in that. Rejoice in it. Jesus knew who his father was. Who potentially your father is. He is God Almighty. He is Abba, Daddy. In all of the close sense of that, to put his arms around us, to wipe every tear from our eye one day, as the book of Revelation tells us, he will do. But he is also God Almighty. He is Lord of heaven and earth. 
Is that not a reason to rejoice? You can come to your daddy, and he is Lord of heaven and earth. There is no power in this universe greater than our heavenly father. None. None. Whatever circumstance we are in, that's the truth. Jesus rejoiced because all things had been committed to him. He was part of the Trinity, and this was one of the points that that full realization created. And if you look in the book of Philippians, chapter 2, it very clearly tells you what, what that means. And it's one of the great prayers of the early Christian church. And it says this, it says, God exalted him, that's Jesus, to the highest place. Give him a name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. That's picture, postcard, poetic words for everything in creation, everything in this universe. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is that's a great truth, because one day, whether it's willing or unwillingly, every tongue will confess, because they're going to say that Jesus Christ is Lord. He is coming back as Lord, as the empowered God, man, part of the Trinity, judge of the universe, and to put things right. That's a reason to You know, too, Jesus rejoiced because he knew that the disciples had been empowered to do things. And in doing those things, they were glorifying their Heavenly Father and His Heavenly Father. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, He's rejoicing about you. That's Jesus Christ who's rejoicing about you and me. name that is above every name is rejoicing about you. How is God glorified? Okay. God uses people. Jesus picked the disciples, the 72, and so it goes on. If you read at the end of Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, it's called in Christian language the Great Commission. Jesus says, after his resurrection, before he goes up to be with his heavenly Father, he says, therefore, go into all the world and make disciples. That's not for vicars. That's not for ordained people. That's for followers of Jesus Christ. I hope that's most of us. It's his great commission. He wants to use us. If we are in obedience if we love him, and Jesus says that's what love is, to be obedient to him and his Father. It's not an ambi-pandy, sentimental thing. It is living in obedience to God and Jesus Christ. Then, this is what he says, go into the world and make disciples. That's 
case command. The Son revealed God. It tells us in that reading in uh, Luke chapter 10 that he was rejoicing because the Father was revealed by Jesus and Jesus was revealed by the Father. And he's still doing that today. He's still doing that today. He's revealing himself. He's revealing himself through us, through this church. He's revealing himself maybe sometimes in more miraculous ways, in dreams, in visions, in works. But actually, the principal way he reveals himself is through his disciples. That's a huge responsibility for us. Next, please. And again, God's glorified because he's in charge. And he wants us to glorify him, to praise him and worship him, because he's the boss. He is in charge. Lord of heaven and earth. You know, there's there's another great reason. He loves us. His desire is to save everyone. That's God's desire. It says in 1 Timothy chapter 2, God wants all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. He wants all men. Ladies, that's ladies as well. Okay? He wants everyone to be saved. That's his heartfelt desire. He does not want to condemn anyone. But he gives us a choice. But his heart's desire is everyone. And his plan is working out. You know, you heard the news last night, today, Palestine, Syria, Iraq, Ukraine, and so it goes on and on and on. And then there's all those personal things in our lives. James 80, I think of, and what's happening there. And, and how many, you know, loved ones who are ill or are hurting emotionally. But God's in charge. It says in Isaiah, the Old Testament, I make known the end from the beginning, from ancient times what is still to come. I say my purposes will stand, and I will do all that I please. I make known the end from the beginning. God understand it. They are painful. They are hurtful. But he's in charge. And he knows the end from the beginning. And we have that hope. And that should allow us to rejoice. Next please. Very hard for us to grasp. It's the simplest and the most complex there is not a thing I nor you can do to get your name written in heaven. Not a thing. Not a thing. Because God's done it all already, you see. That's it. Salvation is down to God. 
And if you read the book of Ephesians chapter 2, very well known, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, the gift of God. Jesus sent his gift in the form of Jesus Christ take on all the messiness, all the wrong, everything that has ever had been done, was being done, or will be done in my life and in yours. All we have to do is to turn to him. That's a big, big thing. But that's it. Not another thing. You don't have to come to church. You don't have to stand here and take communion. You don't have to be baptized as a child. You don't have to be baptized as an adult. All you've got to do is turn to Jesus Christ. That's it. That's it. So what? Well, start where we're finished. Rejoice. Rejoice. Okay, Jim. And if you read Hebrews chapter 4, it says very simply, and we need again to remember this. It says, we have a great high priest who is gone through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God. Let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he is without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence. We can pray with confidence. That's a cause for rejoice. That we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Jesus knows what we go through in this life. And we can turn to Him. It doesn't mean everything will suddenly go right, but it means He is there for us. We can turn to Him. That's the so what of Jesus rejoicing in Luke chapter 10. And just to finish with, let's pray. may well uh, come again as we talk about the prayer. Okay? The book of Philippians. And I'm going to read it from the message version. Okay? But it uses the words and there's an old chorus that says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I say again, rejoice. That's this portion of scripture in Philippians. Rejoice in the Lord. That's the bottom line. That's why we should rejoice. Stand up and punch the air because of what Jesus Christ did for us, because he points the way to a loving Heavenly Father who loves us. That's the bottom line. And when we pray, celebrate God all day, every day. I mean, revel in him. Stand up and punch the air. Make it as clear as you can to all you meet that you're on their side, working with them and not against them. Help them see that the master is about to arrive. He could show up at any minute. Don't fret or worry. Desperately hard. Instead of worrying, pray. Let petitions and praises shape your worries into prayers. Letting God know your concerns. And before you know it, a sense of God's holiness, everything coming together for good, will come and settle. It's wonderful what happens when Christ replaces worry at the center of your life. 
Father God. We pray for your church, Bishop Christopher, for my church, and for all those working within your church, guide all aspects of their work. We pray that you give them wisdom, joy, energy, and enthusiasm in all that they do. We pray for those for training, for ordination, and for readership. They may be blessed in their studies and practices and be a blessing to many as they take up their ministry. We pray for the work of Friends International, Claire Phillips, who leads locally its work of outreach and befriending the students, particularly those from abroad. We pray for the students about to come to Portugal from a far away. Welcoming 